You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Sarah. And hey, it's Grace. And today we are going to talk about the story of Paul Kochu. It sort of goes along with the smiley face killer theory that I've been talking about because he has been mentioned in conjunction with it. Um, it's pretty much been decided even by the guys that have kind of championed that theory that Paul's case is probably not you know, included in those killings. Right. But his name does come up still pretty often when you see articles about the smiley face killer theory. Early on in the theory, when they were kind of formulating it, he was originally considered to be part of it, wasn't he? And then after more details have come out, they've kind of said it doesn't fit the MO. For a little while. And he's often mentioned along with Dakota James, who I talked about two of my episodes ago. And there was even that podcast that I referenced, Three Rivers, Two Mysteries, that is about Mm -hmm. both Dakota and Paul. But... Okay. Yeah. So for a little while, they were seen as very similar and possibly both part of this smiley face killer theory. But, you know, it's Paul's case is probably not connected. But I'm, you know, I'm still, it's still worth mentioning. Gotcha. 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 And I mean, of course, Paul's case also took place in the Pittsburgh area. Right. So that's also how it's connected to Dakota, not just the smiley face killer theory. So. Let's get into it. Paul had just graduated from the Duquesne University nursing program, and he was nearing the end of his probationary period as an ICU nurse at Allegheny General Hospital. And he was living on the south side of Pittsburgh, which has become a very busy, popular area. He had a lot of friends. He was a very friendly person in general, you know, and he was he was doing well there. So life was going well. And he actually had plans to travel across the state to see his family for the holidays. His family is actually from around the area where I am now. He actually went to Owen J. Roberts High School. So that's like the Pottstown area. Gotcha. So that's where he was coming back to see his family for the holidays. On December 15th, 2014... Paul and his two roommates walked the short distance from their apartment on Wharton Street in Pittsburgh to the library bar on East Carson Street, where they met two other friends. After a few drinks, they walked along East Carson Street to Smoke and Joe's, also not very far from that area, to watch the Monday night football game and drink some more. So I don't know who the other two people are, but... um. You know, five friends just hanging out, drinking at a couple places. Eventually, Paul decided that he had too much to drink and he just wanted to go home. So he left alone to walk home. It really didn't seem like a big deal at the time, I'm sure, because they just didn't live that far away. And I think, too, that when a guy leaves a bar without his friends, it sends up less red flags than when a girl leaves a bar, even though it can be just as dangerous. You know, I think we think more about if a woman is leaving a bar by herself. Oh, absolutely. He left the bar to go home. So a little bit after he got home, his roommate said that Paul had cut his hand on 
something that was made of glass. I'm not exactly sure what it was um, at the apartment. And he called his roommates to come help him. So remember, he had left because he felt like maybe he was a little too drunk or he had just, you know, had enough drinks for the evening and was ready to go home. So he was probably still pretty inebriated at this point. He cuts himself. He's home alone. He calls his roommates like, hey, can you come help me. I'm bleeding. There's blood and glass and I'm seeing double. Please come help. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And not, I know a lot of things I say come off very flippant and making fun of, but like that, I mean, honestly, covered in blood, there is glass. And like, if you're drunk, you're not going to be able to to walk and navigate things and clean things up. And yeah, yeah, I can, I'm sure we can both imagine ourselves in that situation. 100%. So the roommates left the bar and they went home, they helped him clean up. And then apparently there was some type of confrontation. One of the roommates and they do, the names of the roommates have been reported and everything, but I just don't see the need to re-say them here. So I'm just going to keep calling them the roommates. Good enough. Uh, One of his roommates said that Paul became combative, apparently still drunk, and he got up into one of the roommates' faces. You know, they started arguing. At some point, part of Paul, or it could possibly have been an object, hit the wall. Unclear whether or not he was pushed, but there was a dent in the wall that was found while police were processing the scene once Paul was reported as missing officially. Okay. So is this like just drywall that got pushed? Like there was a hole in the drywall? That's what it seems like to me. Okay. Yeah. And I think it was probably like an elbow or a shoulder. We'll talk about it a little bit later. But there was like a dent or a hole in the wall. Yeah. And the fact that it says dent and not hole definitely makes me think it was like an arm got pushed against it forcefully, not like someone through a body right into the wall yes absolutely so after that after that like physical confrontation paul then became emotional and started to apologize but then became combative again and by then because alcohol yes because alcohol i'm i'm sure i mean nothing is is proven but it that's just what it sounds like to me i mean i've acted very out of character when i've been drinking alcohol so it does and flipping emotions yeah. mm-hmm. sure like super happy super sad like mm-hmm. you know forgive me i'm really sorry and then right back into like i want to punch you in the face i mean i can see how that not that i get drunk and punch people in faces but like i can see that emotional switch off yeah for sure so this is happening he's acting a little bit crazy so his roommates are like whatever we're gonna go get some food you stay here we're gonna go out for a little bit so they say they left to get some food in the north hills leaving paul behind around 1 30 a.m and there was uh, surveillance footage from a mcdonald's near their home that shows them there a short time later so that corroborates their story mm-hmm. um but paul's family finds this whole confrontation story strange because they say that Paul was not one to get angry or upset easily. But alcohol. Yes. And I hate, I don't ever like to argue with the family. It's right. I I don't like it. I feel weird about it. It's just, I know just from personal experience that I have definitely, like I said, acted out of character because of alcohol. He's young. So, You know, he might not exactly know how he reacts or what his limits are. I mean, I'm sure he's been drinking for a couple years. He's 22 
at this time. In college, in, in Pittsburgh. Yeah. But yeah. I, I don't know. It's just... I just think it's I, possible I mean, to act very out of character when you're drunk. 100%. I mean, there have been times, mom, don't listen to this. There have been times where, you know, I've gotten very drunk and been emotions to the extreme one way or the other, you know, super, super grateful and loving, super angry and screaming. Like, you know, I, I've definitely had those experiences, but in general, I don't think people would say, you know, I'm one to get angry or upset or confrontational. So, I mean, case in point, me here, like I, you know, I'm not a super confrontational person. I tend to avoid it at all possible costs. Same. Um, so, you know, it can definitely, it can definitely happen, especially if like they were at a bar watching the game, they were most likely sitting down mm -hmm. watching the game and drinking. And then he stands up and that totally changes how the alcohol is affecting you. Like, I mean, oh, yeah, because sometimes you don't even notice knows, until like, you stand up, for sure. Right. You're sitting down and you have a couple drinks because someone's bringing them to you, again, because you're at a bar, and then you stand up to go to the bathroom, stand up to leave, whatever, and you're really getting that hit all across your body. So, I mean, that could have even been it, too, that he sitting felt like he was at his limit, and then by the time he was standing and walking... He was so far over his limit that he just became this person he never was. Yeah. And I agree with you. Like, I don't want to go against the family. I've just seen in myself and in my friends the way that alcohol can really change your personality. Yeah. And as far as so, being like super emotional, I mean, I'm not a crier and I don't like to draw attention to myself. But my sophomore year of college, I drank too much Blue Wave. I had broken up with my boyfriend. My roommate and I went to a party. I was just as a fairy because it was Halloween. And I stood in the middle of this room filled with people and just cried hysterically. So, I mean... <laughs> happens it just it happens. happens so i just i just want to put that out there yeah yeah so the roommates say that they came back shortly after 2 30 a.m and surveillance footage near their home corroborates this as well so story totally lines up at this point when they come home paul was nowhere to be found along with his wallet keys and phone but the roommates didn't really notice that he wasn't in the house until the next morning because they had thought he had just gone to bed they were like, wow, Fair he was enough. in a bad mood. He probably just went to bed. His car was still parked out front. Okay. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. Since he took the keys. Yes. So they just they just assumed he was in bed. Um, but of course, the next morning, they were like, that's really weird. Like, where is he? And then he didn't show up for the rest of the day. No one heard from him. So one of the roommates called Paul's brother to tell him that they hadn't heard from Paul all day. So they began to get concerned. Right. So Paul's brother kind of communicates to his parents that Paul hasn't been around and his mother uh, Ellen immediately panicked because she said that Paul would never just disappear and not tell anyone. So Ellen called 911 on Tuesday evening and was transferred to the Pittsburgh police. I'm not sure exactly what they told her that night, but I'm sure based on the rest of this story and things that we have already heard about the Pittsburgh police, I'm not trying to like crap on them. It's just from things that we've heard around. Yeah. Especially yeah. in these like 
the 20 teens, mm-hmm. there are not very many good stories that come from Pittsburgh police or like Allegheny homicide. Like there's a lot of. Yes. And also based on what happens yeah. next, I'm sure whatever they said that night was not super helpful. So the following morning, which would be Wednesday morning now, Ellen spoke to a detective who was also named, but just very negative things are said. So sure, I'm you can always listen to the Three Rivers, Two Mysteries podcast and find out people's names. But I'm just going to say this detective that she spoke to, she said that he was very curt and very nasty. So Mm. just right away did not get a good vibe. Not how you want to be met when your son is missing. Exactly. You're panicky. Just, yeah, exactly. Right. Right. So this detective said that he had just gotten the missing person report and he had a conference call all day. So just wait and see if Paul shows up for work on Thursday morning. So he has been missing, supposedly, since Monday night. And the detective is saying, see if he shows up to work on Thursday morning. So, so his mom was like, cool, cool, cool. I'll just wait. And then she sat in her home and did nothing. Just kidding. That's not at all what happened. Yeah. I mean, based on the first 24 hours, I'm sure that his mom sat around and did nothing. Yeah. You know, she seems like that kind. Yeah. So, you know, the police were saying he probably went to a friend's house to blow off some steam. And Ellen, just both of his parents knew that something was wrong. It just always seems to be like the mother that's like the voice and is like, no, it's just mother's intuition. I'm sure it's just like, no, something is wrong. Such such a connection from mother to child. Yeah. Like especially biological. I mean, you can you can forge that connection non-biologically as well, mm-hmm. but especially with that biological connection, it's kind of like the twin right. connection that just always exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. I fully believe in mother's intuition. She just knew something was wrong because, for one, Paul didn't like the cold. So for Same. him to be, I know, right? So for him to just go out on a cold Pittsburgh night and not come back, it just... It didn't add up at all. So unaware of what was going on, Paul's sister, Jessica, who was living in L.A. at the time, tried to call him Tuesday night and the call went straight to voicemail. And she she said that she found this odd. And not long after, she got a text from her dad asking if she had spoken to Paul that day. She then spoke to her parents on the phone and found out that Paul was missing. And, you know, they were... Worried, but not exactly ready to spring into physical action yet, just because, of course, you're like hoping he's going to show up to work on Thursday. Right. You want to try to hang on to that to keep yourself as calm as possible. Yeah, exactly. Um, So Jessica went to work the next day and she remembers just being worried sick. And when her boss found out that, you know, she told her boss that, hey, my brother's missing. Her boss was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. How old is he? And she said 22. Her boss was like, oh, like, there's nothing to worry about. This is just what 22 year olds do. Like that just seemed to be the message from everyone. She also, I guess, had to go to the police station that day. I don't know to pay a parking ticket or just something. She mentioned it to the police and they were like, she's like, how worried should I be? And they're like, oh, not at all. I mean, this is this is common with people in their early 20s. So if they're not an adult yet, 
and they go missing, they're a runaway. But if they're a young adult and they go missing, they're also just a runaway. Yeah. Okay. Solid. So they're, I don't know. It almost feels like gaslighting a little bit. I mean, her boss is not in law enforcement. And of course, that's probably something that you would say to make someone feel better. It's probably very well-intentioned. Yeah. But it just, it had to be frustrating. I'm sure it was more of like, oh, your brother's missing. Oh my gosh, how old is he? Oh, he's 22. Okay. Then, you know, probably the thought of like, he knows the area. He knows how to drive. He can read road signs, right? Like he's not an eight-year-old that's missing and can't navigate any of that stuff. So, I mean, I can see kind of where that might try to be some comfort, but it definitely comes off very differently. Right. Exactly. As dismissive, I guess. Yes. Yeah, that's a good word for it. So, of course, just like we knew would happen, Paul did not show up for work on Thursday morning. So Jack and Jack is his father. So Jack and Ellen drove straight to Pittsburgh from their home in southeastern PA. Jessica got on a plane from L.A. to Pittsburgh, and she told the Three Rivers to Mysteries podcast that it was the worst plane ride of her life. And I can only imagine. And I guess there was like a connecting flight as well. And, you know, when you're up in the air and you can't get voicemails, exactly, if you can't communicate and you're thinking, you know, once I land, there's going to be a message that's going to say, everything's good. We found him. So, you know, every time she would land and get service, there would be nothing there, no updates. And it just had to be the worst emotional roller coaster. I know we say this a lot on this show because we talk about cold cases, but just the the not knowing. Yeah. Especially in this these early early stages. Just the not knowing and one text can completely change everything. Mm-hmm. Or one phone call or one voicemail. Sure. And yeah, that would be I can't even try to put myself in that position. No, not at all. And I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, no. So Jessica's parents picked her up from the airport and she just remembers the devastating atmosphere of that car ride. Um, And just her describing it is very upsetting. Yeah. uh, As you can imagine. But so, you know, they were in Pittsburgh then and over the next three months, they had frustrating meetings with Pittsburgh missing persons detectives. Um, As we've seen before. They made flyers and hung them everywhere. Land and water searches were performed by family, friends, and volunteers. And to some extent, the police, even psychics, were consulted. So they weren't leaving any stone unturned. And I saw something on Reddit that was just like dragging them for using psychics. But I don't think it's that uncommon, especially when you're having... It's not the first thing you go to. Psychics are not your first... You know, your best option. But if you have a family member, a child, especially missing, if I if you're offering help, I'm going to take it. And there have been so many times where psychics have been consulted and have been able to say, you know, a street name or an intersection or a building that would be close by and they find things. Right. So. You know, worst case scenario, a psychic comes in and either gives a false reading or knows nothing. And then you just have more sets of no answers. Best case scenario, they come in and can give you something. Right. And then you've got 
some answers or steps toward answers at least. So, I mean, you bring them in and they don't do well, then you're at the same spot as if you just didn't bring them in. So sure. might as well try it. Yep. Totally agree. Now, what's interesting is that the two roommates first told Paul's parents that they had all left Smoke and Joe's together that Monday night, but later had admitted that Paul had left the bar alone, which is interesting because, yeah, supposedly, anyway, Paul did not go missing straight from Smoke and Joe's. Right. Um, and actually, that's like confirmed because we will see surveillance of him in a minute. Um, okay. So it's a weird thing to not tell the truth about, I guess. I, I guess unless you if... feel kind of guilty, even though, you know, Paul made it home from sure. the bar. Sure. I have to wonder if maybe it was not even guilt, but maybe just an initial misremembering because he got home. I'm assuming when he hurt himself, it wasn't too much later into the night. Mm -hmm. So they were all probably back at the apartment around ish the same time. I mean, you said they lived in Northside and they were at Smoke and Joe's Southside. They lived in Southside. It was all kind of in the same neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like it's going to be a, a far walk for the roommates to get back to the apartment to help him. Mm-hmm. So it honestly could have just been we were all drinking and we remember that we were all back in the apartment after he hurt himself. So initially it may have just been like, oh, yeah, we all left and we're back in the apartment. And maybe later just some brain clarity was like, oh, wait, we didn't leave together, but we were at the apartment together. Like, sure. You know, we were separated for maybe that 15, 20 minutes, maybe an hour, you know, so it could have even just been like, you know, we were at Smoke and Joe's together and then we were all back home together also. So and it, it could have just been seemed very like trivial to the roommates, too, because like you said, sure. I mean, they were home like very near each other, like near in time. Right. So maybe it just didn't seem that important to them. But yeah. That inconsistency and other inconsistencies definitely stuck out to Paul's parents because, of course, you're going to latch onto that. Of course, you're going to be like, right. that doesn't really make sense. It doesn't line up. So it is something well, that stuck out. I can see something like that. Then the parents also coming back when the roommate started talking about how combative he was. Mm-hmm. I can see the parents then also... If the statement they made about, you know, he was not combative ever, like that wasn't his personality, if that came after finding out that they originally said they left together and then they found out that he left alone and they came later, like I could totally see the parents being just agitated and saying, Mm -hmm. you know, like, well, you're not even remembering the events of the night, right? So, you know, our son was not someone that was very angry. So you're probably just misremembering this too. When in, you know, reality, it's, you know, there's always three sides of a story sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So and again, the roommates were also at the bar. So who's to say how drunk or buzzed or inebriated of any kind they were also, which is going to impact their memories. Absolutely. Right. Like, yeah, not to say anything negative against their testimony and their re-saying of what happened. But it, their memories just might not be as accurate because they could be impeded by that alcohol. It's very so, true. Yes. 
it can it can happen outside of their control. Like I don't think the roommates were being malicious in anything, mm-hmm. but I can see the the parents' frustration sure. in that for sure. As more of the details are piecing together, yes, absolutely. So. Two weeks after Paul went missing, a private resident surveillance video surfaced that captured Paul on the night he went missing. So that Monday night, the 42 second black and white video captures a man believed to be Paul and everyone. It's very when I watch it, it's very, very hard for me to know how you would know that's Paul. But it seems to be agreed upon by his family, police and everything. So it maybe. Like one of those things that if you know them, you know it's them. Sure. Sort of thing. And they could also have a little bit of a better quality one. Because especially True. if you, you know, upload a video of a video or something like that. And all I see is like a basically a black and white blob. But they could have right a much better copy. Yeah. I remember that being in one of the cases I was researching where a detective said, you know, we can look. It was a case from the 60s or 70s, I think. And they said, you know, we can look back at video, but the video that we have in our possession is a video of a video playing on a TV and it's an older TV. So it's not, you know, Mm -hmm, we don't have the original. We've got a copy of a copy of a crappy version of it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm sure that that's by the time things get to the Internet, they're always multi-layered and harder to make out. So... Yeah, Yeah. that would make sense, too. But the video shows Paul walking down the street from his home, um, from the apartment, with difficulty at around 2.45 a.m. His mother, Ellen, thinks that he was walking with difficulty because he was hurt, not because he was drunk. We will find out later that he was definitely drunk. But, you know, he had hurt his hand, but they kind of think that, you know, there might have been other injuries involved. And that's also why he was walking um, with difficulty. That's what I was wondering, because hurting your hand isn't going to make you walk with difficulty. Right. So an Oxygen True Crime article from February 2019 describes Paul as walking erratically, weaving from one side of the sidewalk to another and holding his hand in what appeared to be a makeshift bandage. Um, And police did release this footage to the public immediately. Larry Lightcar, who's a retired FBI supervisory special agent, and he's also an attorney and chair of LaRoche College's Department of Justice, Law and Security, uh, studied the video. He does everything. I know. Jack of all trades. My gosh. And probably master of all of them as well. Um, Seems like it. He studied the video a number of times. He said that Paul's gait showed that he was he was in physical distress and there was a very good chance that if he had hit his head during the altercation with his roommate, uh, it could have caused erratic behavior, which could have potentially then caused him to stumble into the river. So, yeah, that's what he had to say. Um, I, I could see that. But it seems that he at least agreed with Ellen that it seemed like he was in physical distress, like an injury, and not just drunk and stumbling. Okay. And I'm sure you're getting to this, but since this idea is that he stumbled into the river and he was initially part of the smiley face killings, I'm assuming he comes up somewhere in the river. Yes. Okay. Yes. 
So that footage was released to the public. His family offered a $20,000 reward for information that would lead them to Paul. Wow. Police used search dogs and sonar equipment to search the south side of Pittsburgh as well as the rivers. Unfortunately, on March 20th, 2015, Paul's body was found in the Ohio River in Wheeling, Virginia. Not what? Wheeling, Virginia. Jeez. Wait, is Wheeling in West Virginia or Virginia? It is in West Virginia. Fuck. Okay. Well, it's okay. But I'm also just stuck on the right. fact that, I mean, it's. Wheeling is not a super far distance, you know, like if you're driving out of Pittsburgh, you're going to go through, well, if you're driving west or south out of Pittsburgh, you're going to go through Wheeling. Mm-hmm. But for the river, it is to, 85 was on miles, the south side, 85 miles away My from gosh. the area where he was presumed to have gone missing. And this was 94 days after he disappeared. Yeah. And then also note that there were several locks, dams, and shallows in between in those areas. So it is that is a long way to travel. Wow. So Paul's body was found nude except for his watch. He was face down. He had the cut on his hand that his roommates had mentioned, as well as three fractured ribs, a one inch wound on his scalp. And the medical examiner couldn't say whether these injuries happened pre or post-mortem. So just okay. hold on to that. At least the cut okay. on his hand was almost definitely, you know, from that night when he cut himself. Right. But the others, but that wasn't, it's unsure. That was determined from testimony from the roommates, yes. not from the Emmy. Yes. Okay. Correct. Um, And he also had a blood alcohol level of 0.15. Just remember that decomposition can raise this number a bit. Okay, that's true. Um, But he was still probably over the legal limit. Yeah, it's not going to raise it that much if he wasn't already. Yeah. Yes. I mean, he wasn't at like a 0.01. Right. Escalated it that high. Yeah. So there was no explanation for the absence of clothing, especially since it was winter. Uh, Mm. There's a detective that says it was possible that his clothes were pulled off while in the water. And remember uh, when I did Dakota's episode, I mentioned that the Ohio River is one of the fastest in the country. Mm -hmm. And he did have to pass through the seven or eight locks or dams. Um, But... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. When sorry, when they're saying his clothes were pulled off in the water, are they like that he went into hypothermia and I mean, I think we've talked on air before. Maybe we've talked just us before about how um like when you're in hypothermia, your body tries to overheat to keep you alive. Mm-hmm. Um so then you start to feel hot, so a lot of people like it's a huge theory within like the diet love pass why some of them were I was found just clothing. listening to a podcast episode about that I'm obsessed with it but yeah the, it's paradoxical undressing and okay. they say is, like is that the thought here or are they thinking like the current of the they water they think that took the, the current of the water or? pulled his clothes okay. off is what they're saying okay. anyway jeez yeah um although I I can I'm trying to think like if, you know, the paradoxical undressing could come into play here or if he could have taken them off himself to try to swim better or something 
swim to shore right. or something like that if he like if, if he had fallen in. Sure. Um but I'm sure that not make sense. sure to like swim better. For some reason I think back to the Elisa Lamb case when they found her in that water tank and she had taken yeah. her clothes off at some point to, and they theorized that maybe it was so it wouldn't like swim her down and she could swim heavy. better. So I don't yeah. I don't know why that came to mind. Just water, I maybe. guess. Um but what the detective is saying that is that the current pulled his clothes off. Got you. Got you. So Dr. Cyril Wecht, who um, Dakota James's family had been in contact with, mm-hmm. um, he didn't work on Paul's case, but he has mentioned a few things about it. And he doesn't believe that Paul's clothes could have been pulled off in the water. Um, he just doesn't see that as a possibility. Now, he is a... Um, not he he was the medical examiner at one time in uh Allegheny County. Okay. But I don't does that necessarily give you kind of the authority to say whether clothes can be pulled off in water? I think it's kind of like anytime an expert is brought into a courtroom and they say, you know, in your experience or in your opinion, could it happen and it doesn't make it a hundred percent one way or the other. Um, but I mean, as someone who was in the Pittsburgh area a lot and who has dealt with some of these other river cases and, you know, those different things, I would lean more towards his thoughts, but I think it's something that unless you physically see it or there's like video of, you know, the clothing being taken off, we're never going to know one way or the other. Sure. Um, but I think I don't know that his is right and the others are wrong. Um, but I think he's probably just speaking from the standpoint of I've worked a lot of cases. I've seen a lot of bodies that come out of that river. Yeah. And I think it's probably True. just experience based that he's saying that. Um, I mean, in all of these cases, we talk about 90 percent of what we discuss is theory true guessing absolutely Um, it's just hard for me to imagine and i don't mean to make light of this at all i just remember i went to see my sister when she was in germany and we there's this one like river that you can basically just ride because the current is so fast and she did not tell me that i should wear a one-piece bathing suit so i was wearing a bikini and that stuff it almost got ripped mm-hmm. off in two minutes. I had to hold it to my body. And of course, that's comical, but I don't mean to make light of this. It's just, well, I could no, see that's water point, ripping though. off clothes, but he was in like winter clothes and right. shoes. Like, so I've definitely had that thought with like, like at the lake house, if we're going out on like a boat with a tube, you know, like I don't. I'll wear a one piece on that because I'm like terrified that, you know, my bottoms or top is going to fly off. Yeah. And like even water slides, like when I was younger, if I was going to like a pool that had water slides, like the curly Q ones, not the normal ones. Yeah. I would always just wear a one piece because I was terrified of that. But that's very different than if I had on like jeans and a t-shirt. Yeah. And a winter coat. Right. So it. Yeah, I don't, I'm no expert, of course, we're no experts, but it's just something interesting to think about. Yeah. 
a wheeling police sergeant said that it's extremely rare that a body would make it that far down the river um, from Pittsburgh to Wheeling. Uh, but they do believe that that is exactly what happened. So, and it's certainly not impossible. It's right. just rare. I mean, you have to probably have all the right conditions at every step. And if that just happened with Paul, I mean, it might be one in a million, but right, he could be the one, you know? Sure. That's insane, though. You said it was 85 miles? Yep. That is nuts. 85 miles. Um. So right before the body was found, Jessica, his sister, had set up a tip line for Paul. And the first tip that came in was about this John Doe found in the Ohio River in Wheeling. And without waiting for the Pittsburgh police, Ellen contacted her dental provider and had them send Paul's dental records to the Wheeling (laughs) medical examiner. I mean, she is on top of it. Yes. Um, I love her. So she she didn't wait. She was like, forget it. I know what to do. And that's what I'm going to do. A week later, it was confirmed that it was absolutely Paul's body. Mm. Now, the Wheeling Medical Examiner said that the cause of death was freshwater drowning. But since the circumstances leading up to it were unknown, the manner of death was marked as undetermined. Okay. So remember that this was what Dakota James's parents were trying to get that Mm -hmm. like undetermined manner of death. Right. And it's interesting that this medical examiner says, because we have no idea what happened leading up to it. And the same exact thing happened with Dakota, but the Pittsburgh, you know, Allegheny County, Allegheny County medical examiner did not think the same way. So it's interesting. It is interesting to note. And we'll see that this does keep the case from being completely closed. It doesn't mean it's being actively criminally investigated. Sure. But it is keeping it from being closed. So police believe that he entered, uh, Paul entered the Monongahela River between where he was last seen on Wharton Street, which is where his apartment was, and the 10th Street Bridge. Um, and I'll post a couple maps on the blog. Uh, Paul's father thinks that speculation like this, though, is ridiculous and kind of like in Dakota's case, too. And I'll, I'll, I mean, I keep comparing them, but like I said, they are compared pretty often. Um, right. You know, they don't really know where he entered the water. Right. So how do you speculate on that? I mean, I can see right. what is likely, but it's also this was it was not a very straight shot to the water from here okay so it is odd like in dakota's case he needed to be near the water to get home right but in this case it's a little murkier paul's parents also don't agree with the medical examiner's decision of undetermined i think they're pretty at least they were convinced that it was a homicide yeah and they that just would be my inclination yeah they just did not understand the decision of having it be undetermined. Sure. Now, Paul's roommates took polygraph tests. One source I saw said they both passed, and one says that one passed and the other was inconclusive. So I'm not exactly sure, and I do have to say that polygraphs aren't, you know, the best test of whether someone is telling the truth. I mean, they're not admissible in court. It's just... They're only really useful if you can stack them on top of other evidence. They don't stand up on their own. Right. 
So I have to say that doesn't mean too much to me. Um, But, you know, there was never any other evidence that I could find that either of the roommates had anything to do with it. So um, just wanted to put that out there. But Paul's parents said there have been a ton of inconsistencies. Uh, It seems particularly particularly with the roommates stories since Paul disappeared. Uh, So they're, they're just frustrated. And like you were saying before, they're just, you know, they'll point out any inconsistency because they want to get to the truth as fast as possible. So they're going to get frustrated if they're getting different stories. So, and I know those inconsistencies, some of them came from the police as well. um, Is what they're saying. Some of them are just going to happen. Like sometimes you can't, avoid it people misremember things but i i fully support the parents really going after these inconsistencies and Mm -hmm. saying like okay what actually is the truth because this isn't just a case like this is my kid Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah so his parents don't believe that it was an accident or a suicide like dakota's parents they believe that the pittsburgh police did not do their due diligence In a CBS Pittsburgh article from November 2019, the Pittsburgh police and Allegheny County DA's office said that the case isn't being actively investigated, but they're willing to look into any new information they receive uh, and that they haven't had any indication of foul play so far. Pittsburgh police detective Victor Joseph said that it was investigated as a suspicious death Um, apparently since the very beginning, but you know, they're not going to offer speculation about what might've occurred. So it's not closed, but you know, changes about manner of death would be up to the medical examiner and, you know, they're, they're saying they're open to new information, but they're not actively seeking out information. So it would have to be brought to them. So just another note now that we know, you know, exactly where Paul ended up about the surveillance footage. The roommates don't think that Paul's head hit the wall. There was some confusion, I'm guessing, like in all the what am I trying to say? Retelling of the events. Well, just in the like confrontation and everything that was going on, they hadn't seen what part of Paul or if it was an object that hit the wall, like what exactly happened. But neither of the roommates think that Paul hit his head on the wall. Could they figure that out even kind of based on the height of the dent in the wall? Although I guess if you're fighting, I mean, you anything could be at any level. Yeah. Yeah. But they they're like, I don't think he hit his head. So um and the autopsy didn't show anything correct headwise yes the autopsy did not show any sign of a traumatic brain injury at all so it did show that like wound on his scalp but it seemed that it was pretty superficial and there was no brain trauma so that really doesn't check out that he was you know he had hit his head and he was gonna end up stumbling into the river when it comes to that surveillance sure Footage. Detectives would not speculate on what exactly the surveillance video shows beyond that. It shows Paul walking down the street, holding his hand, which was known to be injured. Was he walking toward a hospital? Like 
Was he walking toward Allegheny General? Was he walking toward UPMC? Do we know any of that, that maybe he was just trying to go get care for it? I have not heard anything about where he may be going. And that could go along with the detective saying they don't want to speculate on what was happening in the video. um, Because, you know, you could say maybe he was going towards here. But... I and know? I just wasn't even sure if maybe there was a direction. I know we've got like he was between these streets and you know whatnot, but that could mean they were heading toward Street A or toward Street B. You know, so I didn't know if we knew like at least a direction of travel. Yeah, um, and I'll put um, the maps on the blog. I don't have them okay. here for you right now, but I'll get some maps up there so we can okay. kind of point I'm those out. I'm just thinking a a nursing graduate who is like finishing up time in the ICU at AGH like even in the drunk brain like I can see I'm bleeding a lot my roommates just left I need to get this taken care of Mm -hmm. so I can totally see that mentality being what would drive him out of the apartment if he was walking toward one of those two and neither of them are extremely far from where he would have been right yeah so I'm i mean not nothing's extremely sure. far in pittsburgh but still like, true i mean right from south side you can see how to get to both of them so i mean you can see the upmc building from anywhere so yeah well <laughs> just that's go true toward too. that sign um go toward the giant building Timestamp showing the roommates at McDonald's and then returning to the apartment actually led Paul's parents to believe that Paul had been home when they returned from getting food and that something happened in the time before he was seen on camera um, walking down the street and like when they had returned. I was wondering about that because the timestamp on the surveillance footage was 245, right? And the roommates were said to have gotten back around 230. Yes. Okay. I was wondering that. I just kind of assumed he left and had walked 15 or 20 minutes before that surveillance saw him. So though Paul's case is often mentioned in conjunction with Dakota James and the smiley face killer theory, investigators involved in the smiley face theory don't think that Paul's case fits the profile. Um, Paul's parents aren't necessarily convinced that he's not connected to this ring. I think they just still have so many more questions than answers at this point. I imagine they're just trying to stay kind of open-minded and just want to find out the truth, whatever it is. So what, what part doesn't fit the theory? I mean, he was college age. He was drunk. He was along the river. He was walking alone. I don't know. A hundred percent what they're saying doesn't quite match up. It might be because a lot of those men were part of the LGBT community. Oh, yes. And Paul wasn't. So that is one of the things, but I don't think that's necessarily the biggest, like, criterion. Sure. Um, Sure. And I mean, these, everything in, in the smiley face killer theory ring, if that's kind of the appropriate term to use, seems to be very quick so you know maybe 
it is involved and they thought by looks that this person was part of the LGBTQ community and they just weren't. Right. You know what I mean? Like maybe the other thing that I thought was if it had been kind of reneged from that because he went home and then left again. So he wasn't like, you know, killed straight from the bar. But if he's outside at 2.30, last call is anywhere from 2 to 3, someone that's, you know, preying on these people is not going to know that they were home and then came out. They're just going right. to see a drunk person stumbling outside. Yeah. So I was just kind of curious about that as I've been listening. And I know you said the other week that a lot of people don't tie this anymore. I was curious if there was any expansion on that, but it seems like maybe not public expansion on that there was someone that said something to me that he wasn't considered to be part of this quote-unquote ring smiley face killer uh theory because of the involvement of the roommate and i just want to be like super clear that none neither of the roommates were ever charged with anything they did um, take the polygraph tests and there nothing right, really significant came out of that. They cooperated as far as I know. So okay. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna cite that as a reason. And I'm not exactly sure what this person th- thought they knew, but as far sure. as I have seen, you know, the roommates didn't have anything to do with it. So okay. oh, you know what? I forgot to mention this too, just speaking about Paul's family's uh, disappointment in the Pittsburgh police when the press conference happened where Pittsburgh investigators announced that his body had been found. His last name was continuously mispronounced throughout the entire press conference. And that I had heard that they were mad about that in like an article. And then I listened to the press conference and it is very, very frustrating to listen to their name is phonetically spelled i know i know and i don't know if it was a typo when it came to whoever wrote this stuff up for the press conference but i just kind of rubbed me the wrong way the way that the entire press conference was handled i don't know what they normally look like i haven't seen that many of them i guess but at least raw footage of them but it seemed kind of flippant like the um I believe it was a detective that was giving the press conference and she just seemed not overly concerned. Like, yeah, of course she said that we extend our condolences to the family and everything. Sure. But it's just it's just rubbed me the wrong way. It okay. just didn't seem very respectful. And the fact that they continuously said his last name wrong. Yeah. Very frustrating. So I can understand why his yeah. family was so mad about that. Yeah. So suicide as a manner of death was not even considered by friends and family. You know, he had plans coming up. He had so much to look forward to in his life in general. And, you know, I always say, like, never say never because people can really be suffering and you don't know it and hiding. But uh, his sister, Jessica, said something interesting on that podcast. She says that none of the possibilities make any sense to her. Uh, as for suicide, she said even if he had like hidden pain and wanted to complete suicide, which she does not believe is the case, there mm-hmm. are 
quote unquote, better or more comfortable ways to go about it. Like his mom said he didn't like the cold. Apparently he didn't like swimming very much. It's just why would you choose this method, this very uncomfortable way to take your own life? That's very true. Yeah. Um, And I've heard many cases where people will die by suicide by drowning, but it's often like bathtub with a lot of medication that sedates them. So it, it it it's their way of, you know, like the sister is saying, kind of making it more comfortable. Yeah. So I can't imagine, I can't imagine that he went out that night, intentionally got drunk in order to like numb himself literally and figuratively, went home, cut his hand, and that got him to the point of saying, I'm drunk enough that I could go drown myself now, and then stumbling down to the river to do it. it yeah. I, I'm going to agree with the sister here that it just doesn't seem like a a plausible way of doing it. Plus, you said the river wasn't really a straight shot. No, it wasn't. So th- it just seems like that would just be superfluous almost. Yeah. Like, and I mean, I'm just trying to think of different ways he could have done it if he took his clothes off and maybe he thought it would send him into shock sooner. Yeah. What if he jumped in, changed his mind and wanted to get back out? I don't there doesn't yeah. seem to be marks consistent with that, though, because I feel like you'd be flailing and there, you know, there could be like debris. And I feel like you'd sustain some well, sort of injuries if you were panicking. I guess maybe, but maybe not. I mean, yeah. And then I was thinking, if he jumped off a bridge, you would see some signs of that. I don't. I'm just expecting yeah. something to show up on his body to show something. I guess I don't. Right. It just it doesn't. Well, the alcohol feel could right. be a huge factor in that as well, because that. I mean, you see that a lot in um, like drunk driving incidences where a drunk driver will you know, kill everyone in a car that they hit, but they walk away unscathed because their body is so relaxed that they're not getting rigid. So they're not, you know, up again, like if debris comes up against you and you're rigid, you're going to fight it. If you're super just limp and relaxed and everything, then you're not really going to be fighting against it. So you're probably not going to show as much of like any sort of bruising or cuts or scars or anything like that so i wonder if going on this theory or even just the theory that oh i fell in and i need to get myself out i mean it's quite possible that he didn't have indications of that simply because he was drunk sure and we see that not to say like on land but we see that on land Mm -hmm. i mean my husband sees it all the time with with car accidents right so that could be a factor there at play also. That's fair. Um, Then Jessica goes on to say that an accident also doesn't make sense to her. What business would he have had going down by the river? Like I said, wasn't a straight shot. Didn't like the cold. Like, why would he have gone there and then ended up falling in? Homicide doesn't make sense to her because who would have wanted to kill him? I'm going to say something that will probably scare everybody, including myself and you. A lot of murders do not necessarily have a deep motive. Right. There are a lot of murders that happen just because right place, right time or wrong place, wrong time, or just people that have like road rage 
and just get super mad at that one emotion or, Mm -hmm. you know, if he was outside and he bumped into someone else that was also drunk and got into a drunk fight and, you know, that person could have had malintent because of something that small. So you could really die at any time. You're welcome. Have fun sleeping tonight. Thanks, Sarah. (laughs) Always here. Um, Jessica said that Paul, you know, being out at night alone was not like him. So it was weird that he would leave the house by himself. He was responsible. He was not a known drug user. He wasn't known to drink in excess. It would seem that he was pretty drunk that night, even with if you uh, allow for the decomposition of the body to kind of raise that level a little bit. But I mean, we all have our nights, too. So that doesn't mean he was like an alcoholic or that it was common. Um, I'm just saying it it could happen. Um, And again, like I said earlier, you know, he was sitting down at a bar mm -hmm. and drinking. So it's it's one of those things that alcohol can sneak up on you when you don't anticipate drinking as much as you might. Sure. Or again, having a night. You know, a one night bender doesn't make you an alcoholic. Absolutely. Paul Raymond Kochu was athletic. He played on Owen J. Roberts varsity baseball team when he was in high school. At the time that he went missing, he was 22 years old. Like I said, had recently graduated from Duquesne from the nursing program and was working as an ICU nurse at Allegheny General Hospital on the south side. He was born to Jack and Ellen Kochu on May 29th, 1992, and he had two siblings. Uh, And then he graduated from Owen J. Roberts in 2010. He actually received a certificate for the best laugh in fifth grade. And he was just known as like a very happy, kind kid. And I know your face. (laughs) I wish everyone could see it. It's just like, oh, my God. He was just such a great person there's also part of my brain that goes this sounds like so many of my students yeah it's it's just that kind of real aspect of i know kids exactly like this Mm -hmm. absolutely so he had a caring demeanor great smile trustworthy and a good leader especially when it came to you know sports Uh, When he was 16, he started to think that he'd like to become a nurse, which may have had something to do with his brother who had type 1 diabetes. And he also had three aunts who were all nurses. So he just kind of grew up in that environment. And that's what he decided he wanted to be. So he went for it and he was doing it. So it's just very sad that his bright light was. Yeah. Snuffed out. Put out. Yeah. So, unfortunately, you know, it's not really a case that is being actively investigated. But if you do have any information, I can put the Pittsburgh police number on the blog. And I also believe there's a Facebook memorial page, so I can link to that as well. And that's all I have for Paul. That's all we have for this episode of the Keystone Cold Cases podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by me, Grace. 
find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music by Darren Makins, production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out.